we are going to continue our series that we have entitled Jesus Is this morning. And this is a series where we have been asking the question that we hope everyone on the planet is asking, that is, who is Jesus? And we are doing that by uh, studying uh, a book uh, called Mark. And Mark is actually just one of the Gospels. So the Gospels are actually uh, just the life and the teachings of Jesus. And as we study this, we're kind of getting a firsthand account from this guy named Mark of what it was like to walk and to talk with Jesus. And so we're going to dive in this morning out of Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 29. Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 29. It's coming up on the screen for you, I hope, I think. Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 29. Mark chapter 8, there we go, verses 27 through 29. How many of you know technology is great when it's working, isn't it? Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 29. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John uh, the Baptist. Let's go back to the, the, the Mark 8. We were reading it together. We go. Uh, They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. I want to speak to you very briefly for the next few minutes this morning on this subject. Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is who he says he is. How many of you have ever used the term, those of you that are parents, you have ever used the language of because I said so. Raise your hands if you've ever said because I swore I would never say it uh, when I was growing up, but yes, I have said it as a dad because I said so. Jesus is who he says he is. Let's pray together this morning. Jesus, I thank you that as we dive into your word Lord, our faith is built, and you actually have the ability to completely transform us, to arrange, Lord, the way that we think, Lord, to build the foundation of our faith upon you. And I pray, God, that as we this morning dive in, Lord, that there would be a just an incredible, tangible sense, Lord God, of Jesus in this room. I pray, God, that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to be able to serve you. I thank you, Lord, that you are the foundation of our faith. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Well, how many of you are excited about Christmas season being around the corner? Come on, you're beginning to think about it. And let me just take a quick survey here. Yes, somebody's excited. Uh, Let me just take a quick survey here. How many of you uh, have already started listening to Christmas music? Raise your hands. How many of you wait till Thanksgiving to do that? Okay, Thanksgiving's kind of your time. Uh, how many of you wait till uh, right before Christmas? To How many of you are like, skip the Christmas music? I'm not even into it. Yeah, a couple of you here in the room. We still love you, Scrooge. It's okay. Uh, so I, I just thinking about Christmas, I've, I've been thinking about our house and some of the traditions of Christmas in our house. And one of the things that was a little bit of a shocker uh, in our house was that no matter how hard we tried to try to convince our daughter when she was little 
that Santa was real. She just wasn't buying into it. She just would not believe. We told her all the stories. We did all the things, but she was just a realist from the get-go. She's like, I don't believe in this this Santa uh, character. I don't believe that he's real, and that's, you know, no big deal. Like, so some kids believe and others don't. The issue that we had was that not only did she not believe, she actually believed that it was her purpose in life to make sure that all the other children knew that Santa wasn't real. And so she uh, spent quite a bit of time convincing her little brother, Lincoln, that Santa isn't real. And not only that, we actually have memories of Libby when she was little in her classroom at school, not just saying Santa isn't real to her, her classmates, she actually said Santa is dead. She would walk around saying, Santa is dead. And so our teacher had to have a little discussion with us about, uh, you know, your daughter is walking around the class saying Santa is dead. You know, I think about the whole Santa thing, and I think about really our, our own faith. And sometimes I wonder as we, as we talk about our faith, as we, re- we really dive into what, what is the foundation of our faith and our whole belief system, Sometimes if we're not careful, we can kind of feel like our, our belief system is built on Santa. Not that it's built on Santa, but is this whole Jesus person, this whole Christianity thing, is it really real? Is, it, is this whole thing is just an exercise in futility where we come together and we, have some, we sing some emotional songs and then there's a community of people that are, seem to be nice people and we gather together and, and you know, it's this whole Jesus, God, Christianity, church, all of this, is this really a, a real thing? Because we've all had those moments where we're experiencing the difficulties of life, and we're asking ourselves how real our faith really is. And if we're not careful, what we can do is we can kind of approach our faith like we approach Santa Claus. In other words, it's real until I figure out it's not real, and then it's not real anymore. Our faith is not built on morality. It's not built on anything but the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus is actually where our faith is built. And so we have to ask ourselves this question. It's a question that all of mankind has to ask, and I want you to ask it. And I don't want you to just ask it. I want in like a, a kind of a Sunday school way where you can just give rote answers because you, you know, maybe grew up saying and doing the right thing, you know, when it comes to Jesus. But I really want you in your heart to ponder this question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is. If I was to take a poll in this room, and if I was to take a poll way outside of this room, even in our city, how many know the answers to that question would be all over the map, wouldn't it? It'd be all over the map. There, there's people that would say, well, I believe Jesus was a good man, that he did good things and had good teaching. Some, some would say, I believe he was one among many gods. Others would say, I believe he was one of the prophets, and there are other prophets as well. Some would say that uh, they appreciated his his, uh, his justice and the mercy and the compassion that he showed. There, there would be uh, literally all over the map of the answers that we would re- receive with that question of who is Jesus. But when you really boil it down, it really seems sometimes confusing about the basis of who Jesus is. And Jesus, in, what, in some of his claims that he made to be, actually in some ways draws a little bit of a dividing line. And you got to understand that that's not a new thing. 
This has been going on for centuries. In fact, during the Bible times and the passage that we're reading here today, there was so much confusion about who Jesus was. I mean, this guy comes on the scene, and nobody really knows who he is. He kind of comes from out of the middle of nowhere. He starts doing these healings and miracles, and then he starts making these radical claims about who he was. And He started out with kind of a small group of, of fishermen and followers, guys that didn't really seem to matter, but then he was very charismatic, so all of a sudden now his reputation is growing, and, and he's got this following that's happening, and and so they, there was, they were all over the map. They didn't know who this Jesus guy was that, that was claiming to be some things, and they, they didn't really know what to believe about him. And so instead of ignoring the elephant in the room, he actually embraced and leaned into the elephant in the room. How many of you have somebody in your life that doesn't ignore the elephant, but they actually go right at it? How many of you have someone like that? That's Jesus. Jesus went right at it. And he actually is walking along with his guys one day, and he asked him this question. He said, who do people say that I am? And you have to know that whenever Jesus asks a question, he's not just looking for the answer. He's taking you somewhere. And he, so he says, who do people say that I am? And so they, re, they respond, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And he says, okay, let's just skip everybody else. Let's skip the crowds. He says, who do you say that I am? And the answer that Peter gives, that Simon Peter gives, is actually very intense. He says, I believe that you are the Messiah. You're the Christ, the anointed one, the one that we've been waiting on. He actually says, I believe, Jesus, that you're the buck stops here guy, that you're the solution for all of, of mankind, that you're the one that, uh, that we've all been waiting for and the one that we can stake the claim of our lives on. And right there, that right there is where the dividing line is. Because most of us in the room and most people don't have issues with Jesus until. They don't have G issues with Jesus until. They're, they're good with Jesus in so many ways, but until what? Well, until the, the, the actual claim of the Messiah thing, until, you know, the actual claim of being the only way, until, until everybody's good with Jesus, until then. This kind of reminds me of a couple ladies that knocked on my door yesterday morning at my house, and uh, they wanted to talk about God, and they, their speech was so good. They, they started off so well. They, they knocked on my door, and they said, uh, we're here today, and we're just walking around talking to people about Thanksgiving. And what we are thankful for God for. And I just stopped them right there. I said, that's awesome. I'm so excited. And they said, we want to show you a verse. And I said, I know, the, I know you want to show me a verse. I just, before you show me, I just have to tell you what I'm really thankful for. I'm really thankful to God for his son, Jesus. In fact, that's kind of what I teach my kids to be thankful for. We talk about that every day in our home. And they said, that's great. Can we show you this verse? And I said, I know you want to show me a verse that has the word Jehovah in it. But I want to show you some verses, many verses, about Jesus. And they said, well, we, we like Jesus. I said, that's great. I said, you know what I'd love to do? Why don't you come into my house, and we'll sit around the table, and we'll have actually a, a, a good discussion about the divinity of Jesus. And they were like, okay, we might actually disagree on that a little bit. I said, let's talk about how Jesus claimed to be God and that he actually was God. And, and they were like, well, we don't agree with that. I said, well, I know, but I'll listen to your verses, and then you can listen to mine, and we'll have a really good discussion. And they said, well, we can't come into your house. I said, okay, I said, let me just do this. 
why don't we, why don't you show me your verses and then I'll come to your house and I'll show you all my verses about Jesus. And they were like, well, you know, that's, that's fine. I said, great. I said, can I have your address? Give me your address. And they said, um, well, we can't give you our address. I said, how am I going to get to your house if I don't have your address? And they said, well, we can't give you the, our address to our house. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. This doesn't sound like it's a re reciprocal discussion. It sounds like it's one-sided at this point. Because here's what I have to tell you today. Look this way. This is the dividing line of our faith. This person of Jesus actually is what we stake our claim of faith on. And you have to understand that it'd be one thing if everybody else was saying that he was the Messiah. It's a completely different thing that Jesus actually said it about himself. John 14, 6, he says this, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he says in John, in, in Mark chapter 14, verses 61 and 62, again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, it is natural for us, it is natural for humanity to want to divorce the, the life and the teachings of Jesus from the claims that he was the Messiah. In other words, it's very natural for us to lean in on so many good things I love about Jesus. I love, you know, some of the teachings that he had. That whole, like, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's a good one. I like that. That love is patient. Love is kind. That's a neat one. I love the stories that I read about his mercy and compassion for, for those that were poor and needy. I, I, I love that about Jesus. I love this, you know, even his healings. And, and I, I love that he, you know, was, was a prophet. I, I just love that. But I have to, like, like, hold on, wait a minute, put a little love in. I don't know how it goes. But, but when you start talking about the claim that he was the Messiah, the claim that he was the only one, that's where we part paths. And here's what I want to help you today with. We have to understand this. Jesus is the way. This is what he said. He's the way. What does this mean? It means that he is actually the path to God and that he's saying there is no other path to God. There's only one way. There's only one path to God that you don't have to search for that path anymore. We don't have to, to, try, to try to find that path. We don't have to go on a manhunt for that path. Jesus is saying I actually am the path to get to God. I am the connection. The way that you get to God is through me. He's really saying I'm an exclusive savior. There is no other savior. I am the exclusive savior of mankind. And then he says, not only am I the way, I'm the truth. So what, what does that mean? Is he saying that his teachings are true? Is he saying that he's only teaching truth? No, he's actually saying he is actually truth incarnate. In other words, he is the person of truth. There's nothing that he can do or that he can say that isn't truth. He actually is all truth. And knowing that, listen to some of his claims that he made. He declared himself to be the truth of who he was. He said, I and the Father are one, John 10, 30. He said, I am God's son, John 10, 36. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life, John eleven twenty five. He said, I am in the Father and the Father is in me, John 14, 11. 
And when Jesus said to the Pharisees, went to these religious leaders of the time, he said, when I and the Father are one, they actually, the Jews, wanted to pick up stones and throw stones at him. Do you know why? This is a radical claim, y'all. He said, I'm God. That'd be like me standing up here today and saying, I can throw a football better than Drew Brees. I can coach the Saints better than Sean Payton. Like, that's a radical claim. It wasn't just like, like y'all are sitting here going, yeah, that's neat. Jesus said that. To them, this was demonstrative. This was worth stoning somebody for. To claim to be the Son of God, to claim to be God. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. We are one. This is this is big. And so he says, not only am I the way, not only am I the truth, I am also the life. He says, when you get into a relationship with me and you understand that relationship, you have life. And you say, well, don't I have life right now? I'm breathing, right? No, he's saying true life is found when you get into a relationship with him. That life, and he, he actually says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that it's life to the fullest. An abundant life. Now, let me be careful to explain this to you because what that doesn't mean is and what it's sold as in many of our North American churches as is here's what that means. That means when you come to Jesus, your good life becomes a better life. It's your best life now. It's, it's you know, if you come to Jesus, you're going to be, you're going to have more money than you've ever had. You're going to have a better life. You're never going to suffer. You're never going to have pain. Jesus is going to take your good life that you already have, and it's he's going to make it even better. But I, I have issues with that because go talk to people that are being martyred in different countries right now all across the world in the persecuted church and tell them that Jesus is, they're being martyred because they're a Jesus follower and tell them that they don't have their best life. Hello? So here's what it means. It means an experience of life like you've never had. It means that you get to walk and to talk with Jesus. But what does he give me? He gives you himself. And as you get Jesus, your life begins to change. Now, how many of you know somebody that makes a claim that's this radical better be able to back it up, right? Like, they better have something. And so many times what we've been guilty of in the church is we've been guilty of saying, well, why do you believe that Jesus is the only way, truth, and the life? And we say, because the Bible says so. And we say, okay, so here's the deal. The Bible says so. I believe it because the Bible says so. And you need to believe it by, because the Bible says so. So suck it up, buttercup. That's just the way it is. Actually, there's much more than that. And the New Testament writers that were writing this, guess what? They only had a version of the Bible that we, that, that, that looked much different from the one that we have. So they couldn't just point to the Bible and say, because the Bible says so. They actually had an event. And this event was actually what they claimed their faith to be built on. It was an event that somebody would have to have to make claims that they were God and that they were the son of God. Whoever was making bold claims like that better have an event and they actually better be able to what? Raise themselves from the dead. How many of you know, if somebody can raise themselves from the dead, I'm going to believe just about whatever they said, right? And these guys that are writing this, including Mark, listen, 
they're not basing their faith, which many of them died for, they're not basing their faith on because the Bible says so, I believe. They're basing their faith on this event of the resurrection. They're basing their faith on the fact that they were there and they saw him. Matthew, a first century tax collector, is basing his faith on the fact that he was there. He saw Jesus after he was risen from the dead, and he writes about it. Mark, a Greek who traveled with Peter, actually says, I was there. I saw him after he raised from the dead. I I was there and I wrote about it. We've got John, the first disciple that ran to the empty tomb and and he runs there and he finds that the tomb is empty and then he sees Jesus later on after he was raised from the dead. John says, hey y'all, I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. Then you've got Peter, Simon Peter, who was actually martyred for his faith later on. He's, Peter was there and he says, I I was there. I, I saw Jesus with my own eyes. And then you've got Luke, a doctor who actually was very detailed. And what Luke did is what he actually investigated this whole thing. He actually went around and he interviewed and he starts his book out by saying, hey, I interviewed a lot of people. I thoroughly investigated this whole claim of the resurrection and it is real. And then you've got James, who was the half brother of Jesus. And James actually isn't on the scene at all. We don't even think he he was a Christ follower until after the resurrection. Why? Because he was the half-brother of Jesus. And what would it take for you to believe that your brother was the Messiah? He'd have to raise himself from the dead. Never mind that, you know, he's healing people and there's miracles happening and all of this. Nah, I still don't believe it because, I, listen, I know who he had. He's my brother. I was there when he got his learner's license, you know. James, who ends up being one of the primary leaders in the book of Acts in the church of Jerusalem, James says that his faith is actually based on the resurrection. And these guys go on later to say in the book of Acts, they say, listen, if that wasn't real, if the resurrection didn't happen, if there weren't hundreds of people that didn't see Jesus alive after he had been killed, in the book of Acts they actually say that all of this is based on lies. It's all lies. So our faith is not just because the Bible says so. Our faith that Jesus is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, is based on the fact that he raised himself from the dead and there were hundreds of people that wrote to tell us about the fact that that was real. Wow. Unbelievable. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? Well, let's talk about that for just a second as the band comes. Because if it's true, if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, here's what we have. We have a path to God, we have the promises of God, and we have life in God. We have a path to God, we have the promises of God, and we have life in God. If he is the way, then he is the path to God. And, and we may say, well, that sounds really exclusive, like Jesus is the only way. Well, here's kind of the way that I compare it to. I kind of compare it to this. If I was to ask you to come to my house and, and not give you my address or directions to my house, and say, I said, I want, you to, I want you to just find me. I want you just to find me. And I'm not going to give you directions. I'm not going to give you an address to put in your phone. 
you just find me. I'm just gonna let you search and, and just hope that maybe somehow you're gonna land on the right street and the right address. How many think that'd be kind of cruel, hello? That'd be cruel. But Jesus is saying, hey, I wanted to be kind. God was so kind to us that he actually said, I'm going to give you the directions to get to me. I'm gonna give you the path to God. The path is through Jesus. He's the path. And then he says that he's the truth. And here's what I want you to grasp, and here's what I want you to understand as you leave this place. That if Jesus is the truth, then here's the truth. The reality of God's promises are all true because of Jesus. And I don't know if y'all need a promise of God this week, I need some promises of God in my life. Here's just a few. Let me give you just a couple of them. Here's one. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Romans 8, 38 through 39, for I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in who? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Jesus, we have this promise that the love of God is inseparable for us. Number two, you are his child. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. You're a child of God. That's a promise. Number three, God is for you. How many of you glad that God is for you, not against you? Come on, how many of you glad that God is for you, not against you? If you're not sure about it, Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a promise of God. And why can we buy into the fact that that is a real, true, genuine promise and it's 100% put it in the bank real because of Jesus? Because if Jesus is truth, then all of the reality of God's promises are true. Number four. God will provide. Mark, Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. God will provide, my friends. He will provide a way for you. I could go on and on and on and on. If you want to know the promises of God, I dare you this week just to put in your Google search the promises of God and see all of God's promises that come up and read those promises. And here's the deal. There are days when I look at some of those promises of God and I go, I don't, I'm not experiencing that right now. I don't know if that's real. I don't know if I can lean into that. But I don't have to base my faith on my experiences, y'all. My, my basis of my faith is in Jesus. And if it's in Jesus and he really is all truth, then all of God's promises are also true. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And as we walk with him, it's life not only on this planet, it's life eternally. 
here's the picture that I want you to understand when you are thinking about your faith and the foundation that your faith can be built on. This is the picture. This is the only picture that I could think of. This is a Swiss army knife. Because look this way, y'all. Jesus is the Swiss army knife of our faith. He does it all. He does it all. Watch this. Jesus does it all. He is the Swiss army knife of our faith. First service liked it way better than y'all. Let's move on. Here's what I want you to walk out with this morning. Here's what I want you to to have in your heart as you walk out. If Jesus is who he says he is, there is hope. We have hope. Our hope is in Christ. Our faith and and the foundation of our faith is built on solid ground. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. His claims are real. He really is who he says he is, and the resurrection backs it up. Wow. If you could close your eyes and bow your heads all across this place. Some of you may be in the room and you may say, I I have not yet trusted and gone all the way in on my relationship with Jesus. I have not yet put the full weight of my faith and my foundation on Him being the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not asking if you are religious in any of that context. I'm not asking any of those questions. I'm asking about your faith being based on the person of Jesus Christ. Who have you said He was in your life? It has to be beyond just a good teacher. It has to be beyond just one of many prophets. It actually has to be that you have placed all of the chips on Jesus. You've said, I'm I'm cashing in all my chips. I'm, I'm placing the full weight of my faith on the foundation of this person of Jesus. And then you're going to begin to walk with him and talk with him. And he's going to give you life to the fullest, abundant life. Not only on this planet, but after you leave this planet, life to the fullest.